Thank you, Addison. That was beautiful. Can we? Can, I know that was a, a great way to uh, to bring in our study for today. Last week, uh, when Aaron preached, she preached um, from the first chapter in Colossians, and that is our study for this month in July here at St. Matthew's. Andy and Aaron and I will be breaking down each one of those chapters each week. And so that way we can dive into what Paul was telling the early church there. In your order of worship, you know, there's a big space there, and that's to take notes. So if you want to write anything down uh, at this time, this is an appropriate time to do that. But we're going to walk through a lot of what Paul is saying here in his letter. To kind of recap last week, uh, the first chapter here, it was written to the earliest Christians, the first generation of Christians, uh, during a, a tough time to be a Christian. Um, this church was a smaller house church, uh, Colossae, and it wasn't a big powerhouse of a church. And Paul never physically set foot to start the church, but it was under his jurisdiction. And so he was writing to them to encourage them in this difficult time. Uh, the emperors of Rome were not very friendly towards Christians. This was during the rule of Nero, which we know a little bit about him and how cruel he was to the Christian church. And the emperor that came after him was the emperor that came to Jerusalem and crushed the temple. And so it was a difficult time for our early faith and our founding fathers of our faith. But the reason why he wrote this letter was to encourage this group of early Christians and to reinforce what it's like to be one of these new believers. Um, To know how much we matter to God because Jesus came and died for us. That makes us all very, very important people in the eyes of God. And Paul was reinforcing that with his letter here. He also wrote it for practical reasons. Um, just, you know, how to cipher through some of the unchristian teachings and the Christian teaching and what it's like to be a believer in that day and age. And so this is where we pick up with the second chapter. And at this time, I want to invite Elizabeth and Connor to um, read this passage for us. It is a little long, but that's how Paul likes to write. So, Okay, there you go. It may vary a little bit different because I use an NIV. I'm kind of old school. All right. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then... Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that nobody enslaves you with philosophy and foolish deception, with conform to human traditions and the way the world thinks and acts rather than Christ. All the fullness of deity lives in Christ's body, 
and you have been filled by him who is the head of every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised by him. This wasn't performed by human hands. The whole body was removed through this circumcision by Christ. You were buried with him through baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead because of the things you had done wrong and because your body wasn't circumcised, God made you alive with Christ and forgave all the things you had done wrong. He destroyed the record of all the debt he owed excuse me, with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. When he disarmed the rulers and authorities, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphant parade. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or the Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they had had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you all. Now, here you see Paul reaching out to this early church in angst. As I said earlier, he didn't physically start this church. And so he's writing to them with some knowledge, but he doesn't know all of them personally. What makes it even more difficult for Paul is that he is writing this letter from a jail cell. He's in jail at this time. And so he's even more troubled at heart at what is going on in this early church. And you see here in the second verse that he's encouraging them and states that he wants the church to be knitted together by strong ties of love. Knitted together by strong ties of love. In today's time, it's hard for the church to be encouraged with all that's going on around us. However, I want to share with you two examples of love within the church that I've witnessed over the past few weeks. I've had the privilege to travel over 4,000 miles over the past three weeks with our youth and adult leaders from South Dakota all the way to North Carolina. In South Dakota, our youth felt led to serve the Native Americans at the Pine Ridge Reservation there in the town of Manderton. That community is the second poorest community in the entire country. When you go there, you see people whose homes are in horrible conditions, children running around in clothes that do not fit, that are dirty. You see people looking for hope and some source of help. And so when our youth group felt called to go there, we went there working with two other churches, two other youth groups. One was Longleaf United Methodist Church, and the other one was Mid-Coon Valley Lutheran Church. 
And together we worked all week helping those in need. We, um, our youth did a reading club and a kids club. We worked on homes, fixed holes in walls. And more importantly, we were just the face of Christ's love, working on the relationships there in the community. And our youth were broken up into work teams throughout the week where they had to work with other youth group kids. I didn't see any conflict between the kids as they worked together. They were happy to work together. They loved working together with other youth and serving and showing God's love. And that was an encouraging sight to see love so knitted closely together that Paul was willing for this church that he wrote to. And then just last week, the youth, we went to North Carolina to the retreat at Lake Junaluska. And we were there with over 300 youth from the region. Tons of people were there and adult leaders were there. And we worshiped together. We played together. We served in missions together. We broke off into small groups and had serious discussions. We prayed together. We loved God together. And so in that example there with so many people coming together in the name of Christ was another perfect example in a discouraging time at most where we see God's love knitting people together. And this is what Paul was talking about early in this chapter. Once we move past that of his encouragement and wanting them to knit together in love, we see that he begins to warn the early church there about well-crafted arguments, empty philosophies, and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. You see, the early church communicated via letters. And so this early church was getting letters from a lot of different religious leaders. It was a community meshed together of Jews and Gentiles. So there's a cultural clash going on there and a lot of confusing information was being passed around. And so Paul was writing to them to kind of set the record straight on what it's like to be a believer in that day's time. And you can see a lot of parallels with our church today where out in the community, out in regular society, you hear a lot of different arguments either against the church or this idea is better than your idea. And sometimes it makes it very hard to be a Christian in today's time. So we have something in connection with that early church. And it was hard for the first Christians as well to follow Jesus. They didn't have all these nice Bibles with different translations that we've got today. You know, they heard the Gospels if they were lucky. They were lucky if they got a letter from Paul or got to see one of his disciples or workers there. But a lot of it was just based off of faith. You know, we have nice study Bibles that have thousands of years of being refined that we can go to and get all the answers we need. So it was really a big decision, as it is today, but really a big decision for these people to call themselves Christians and follow Christ. And they had to consider if this Jesus is for real, that they're going to dedicate their life to. Um, C.S. Lewis says it's best, and it's very blunt when he says it, He says that we can either label Jesus three things. We can label him a liar, a lunatic, or our Lord. And we have to make that decision of what we label him. Because 
if what he was preaching about forgiving sins and only people can get to the kingdom through him, if he was wrong in that, then he was a liar. If he truly believed it but wasn't Lord, then he was lunatic. But we know him to be our Lord and Savior through the resurrection, through what the Bible teaches us and through what we see every day in our church communities, that he is our Lord. And we've made that decision and that early church needed to make that decision as well. And so there are two ways that I read into this letter and this chapter that Paul talks about that we as Christians and Christians back then could stand up to the challenges and the false teachings of the day. The first one he talks about is faith. And I want to read to you the seventh verse about this from this chapter. He says, Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. So faith, relying on him in faith. And when the word roots came about, of course, we think of trees. And when I think of trees that are firm in their foundation, I think of this tree right here, this famous oak tree. How many of y'all know what this oak tree's name is and where we can find it? To say it, it's the Friendship Oak Tree, Long Beach, yes. The first time I saw this tree, see, I'm not native to the Mississippi coast and I didn't even know it existed until I was about 17 years old when at that time my girlfriend, but now my wife, took me on a trip to the Gulf Coast. Uh, her dad used to be a Baptist preacher in Bay St. Louis and so she took me down there one weekend and we just kind of toured the coastline, saw some old friends of hers and we went and visited this tree. And this was pre-Katrina. And uh, Katrina came 2005, and I was doing some more research on this tree because I haven't really seen it since. And it is still alive and well today. It's actually growing. It's over 59 feet tall and over 500 years old. This tree was around when Columbus was sailing the Caribbean. This tree's got some pretty strong roots. And so when I read this verse and I think of trees, this is my tree that I think about. Y'all may have different trees, but this is a well-known one for me. And to have faith like this means you can weather a lot of storms in your life. You can stand up to a lot of human tragedies with faith. It's not going to be easy. But with faith, you can stand up to many challenges that come your way. Because we all know that we don't live in one of those funny romantic comedy movies where at the end of the show you get the person of your dreams and you get all the green lights on the way to work and everything's just fine and dandy. That's just not life. Unfortunately, we live in a, perfect, un, uh, in a broken world that's not perfect. We've seen that in the past couple weeks within our own country with the shootings in urban areas and foreign lands like France where innocent lives are taken. We live in a broken world. We even are witnessing a bizarre political election in our country and we have a church that is struggling to define what incompatible with the Bible truly means. We have challenges. But with faith, with roots like these, we can withstand them. 
The second thing that I read out of this chapter here that Paul talks about that helps us as Christians um, is to talk about the connectiveness of Christ. Let me read you something from verses 8 through 10. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. Rather focus on Christ, for in Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. This verse gives us a clear picture of what Jesus is. He's the fullness of God, God in human flesh. The Old Testament lived out in love. All creation was made through him. And Jesus has authority to rule over all. The real beauty that we get out of this is that his nearness is so ever present. We are so ever connected and united to God through Jesus. He is as close as the air that we breathe. His Holy Spirit lives within us, each one of us. So we are forever connected and stay connected that way. But what other ways does connection look like? Well, we always have to keep praying. That is one way you stay connected to the body. Pray without ceasing, as Paul says. Whether it's on the way to work or on the way to school, whether it's in the morning or at nighttime, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is that we continue to pray and stay connected that way. The other way to stay connected is to continue to read scripture, have a daily devotion. One of my favorite things that I experienced over the past few weeks was when I was in South Dakota. Every morning we'd get up bright and early to fix breakfast and do a funny song and dance about it, eat the breakfast, clean up, and then we'd go to what they call the large group room where all the youth would gather and the adult leaders. And they would kind of give us the directions for the day and then we'd break out and do a morning devotion. We had a little devotion God they gave us. So we went with our Bibles and went out. And see, we stayed out of school. We slept on classroom floors and used the showers there and ate in the cafeteria. That was our home base for this mission trip. And so when we broke out in the mornings to devotion sites, we sat on the playgrounds, on the basketball courts. We just sat wherever we could. Some people sat inside, but I chose to sit outside. And in the backyard of the church was a beautiful plain valley that leads up to a mountain called the Camel's Hump. And you can just sit there and just look and just take that moment of silence in and then read your scripture, answer your questions, go through it all, pray, and then you would begin your day's work. And it was easy to do it there. And I'll be honest with you, I'm like everybody else here, It's hard to do it in the morning at home. At my house, if I don't get it done by 6 a.m., somebody's already up and it's just, you know, forget it. You know, I've got to probably do it on my lunch break or at night or book it for the next day. I'm human. I'm not perfect. So I try to do it, but I don't always get it in. But the days that you get your devotions in, it just sets you on the right foot. And the reason is because you're connected. So reading scripture, having that devotion, but worship together, serve together. These are all ways we can stay connected. These are all things that Paul wanted the early church to do. 
And then there's times where we have to be on guard, though. We have to guard ourselves and not let anyone or anything cause us to be distracted or look away. It can be easy to lose sight if we're not faithful and connected to the body. When Christ died on the cross and fulfilled the old covenant, and now we live under the new. And we have freedom from the old rules and new life in Christ. Verses 13 through 15 say it best. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record for the charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So what does that mean? What does all this mean? Well, first I'd say, don't be fooled. Do not let anybody take away what you believe in. Don't let anybody make you feel like you have to do more. Follow more rules. Do this or do that to save yourself. Because if you feel like, or if they feel like you have to do that, you're also saying that Christ didn't put it all on the cross. That wasn't enough. You basically deny the divinity of Christ and what he did. He paid it all. It is finished. That's our new life. So don't be fooled. Through faith and connection to the body, we'll be able to shout to the, pro- to the broken world that Jesus is not a liar, not a lunatic, but he is our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning just seeking to be connected to you, to have faith with roots so deep as the oak tree on the coast that we're able to weather any storm any challenges that come our way. Father, fill us up for the week and always be with us. Help us to stay in constant prayer and be with those who need you the most. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.